You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, where we almost never act our levels. This is episode 375. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, to discuss the eighth episode of NPC Peacock's adaptation of the classic Aldous Huxley novel, Brave New World. But more importantly, your happiness is important to us. Yeah, it really is. You know, don't don't think we're being destabilizing by some of the things that we have to say to you guys because we don't mean to be right because your happiness is is important to us yes we know we are at times but uh (laughs) anyway so what is this uh week number two for you back to work or is this three Uh, this is week three okay and improvement that girl staying awake in class now Uh, yeah she is um but uh you know, it's like certain things. Like today, we did breakout groups, so I came up with you know I made more you know Google Meet so they could go and meet in small groups, and so I went into one group and they it, it was it was like five minutes and they hadn't done anything. They were just sitting there, and I'm like, um, you know, you're you have a, a task, you know, you know, and then and another, I don't know which girl said it, but like you know, because I had like four meets open, I could hear all their meets like at once, and uh, you know, someone was like, "So what are we supposed to do?" The girl's like, "I don't know. I was doing my homework while he was talking." I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, I can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> well, then I, I could. I didn't know even which meet to click on to say I heard that. So, but then when we brought the class together, I kind of laid into him a little bit. Nice. It's because, well, yeah. I don't know, it's just like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I, that's I, one of the th- things. There's only like 10 kids I think I'm going to be able to write recommendations for because like these kids who don't turn their cameras on, I'm not doing your recommendation if I haven't even ever seen your face, you know? Yeah. So don't, if, if you sit there and you turn your camera off and then you, and you don't ever participate, don't even bother asking me for a recommendation, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, you know, I, there's no reason not to. I, well, I shouldn't say there's no reason not to, but no good reason, really. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I am right now. I'm down in my basement, usually where I had my sci-fi TV rewatch set up, but then my daughter took my desk, so now I have a card table. But at least I have a comfortable chair down here. I've got a, a banner of Jim Morrison behind me and a Baltimore Colts banner hanging down and that's my decoration so it's not like you know i have like this super amazing backdrop to show everybody you know it's my crappy messy basement so uh you know anyway yeah you need to uh run up to school go in the tv studio and nab the green screen i Put should that, behind you that would be awesome a- ask michael you know how to put some sort of cool sci-fi background but anyway all right uh what i am watching this week you know my wife and i got to the point where we couldn't really figure out what we wanted to watch there was nothing that was jumping out at us and as often happens i just tell her just find something you know anything i pick you're not going to necessarily like although i say that and she loves brave new world but we watched this series called duchess and it's this comedian named Catherine ryan okay and when i you do i'd never heard of her and it just like okay single mom on her own with a kid in england yeah that's her life all right well well it is and and basically so you know she's a single american mom living in england well oh you're right you're right she is canadian yeah uh 10 year old daughter thereabouts 10 she was never married but she had the child by uh, a member of a boy band and you know he's english and of course it's one of these situations where the daughter is often the adult in the relationship Mm -hmm. but the one thing i will say i mean they're very short episodes they're like 20 25 minutes i read some reviews and the critics really trashed her and trashed the show and i'm looking at the comments and i'm thinking all right, they're they're calling her vulgar and they're calling you know the show no redeeming qualities, and, and it really got me to thinking because I you know politically I'm not I mean look I I'm not going to say I'm a feminist but I'm certainly in support of many of the things that you know the movement you know is desiring, 
But I'm thinking like, okay, you're criticizing her because of her foul language and it is really crude in a lot of places. And I'm thinking, okay, if she was a guy, right. you'd call her a comic genius. Exactly. And that she has her finger on the pulse of things that are imp- like, are, anyway, I, we both really enjoyed it. It's one of those shows that when she would say certain things, you know, you look over to your wife to see her reaction <laughs> before, before you. Is, is it okay to laugh at that? <laughs> right. And it, it was pretty evident early on that my wife really likes her a lot yeah. to the point where we watched one of her stand up netflix shows after we were done the series so uh you know it's called duchess it's light and we really needed something light after all the the detective shows we were watching but uh yeah it's pretty cool what do you got well um still working on la casa de papel uh aka money heist uh i'm actually tonight sadly i've reached the last two episodes of of part four which is all they've filmed so far. The, the part five is the final part, um, which is, I guess they've they've got a green light for it. I don't know if they start filming yet. So, um, but that show is is amazing. It's so good. Um, I talked about it before, so I uh, just wanted to put it out there again. I also I don't think I mentioned I'm kind of watching Shit's Creek. Have you seen that one? I have not, but I saw they pretty much took home the whole emmy show yeah yeah um so it's it's uh eugene levy and Catherine o'hara are play like the the patriarch and matriarch of this family that were super wealthy and they get swindled by like their money manager they lose their all their money 100 percent, except for they they own this town called schitt's creek so it's the classic fish out of the water the the two of the parents and their their adult son and daughter who have been used to a life of luxury um, have to live in a, you know, kind of, uh, you know, second rate hotel room run by um, the, the, the girl from 12 monkeys uh, who, who played the, the crazy girl. Oh, uh, Emily Hampshire. Is that her name? Sure can't remember but she i mean she was awesome she's and she's freaking hilarious she plays the uh the 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 person who like the the manager of the hotel um we've never seen another manager yet so but uh you know the the people in it are just incredibly funny uh eugene levy's son daniel plays his son in the show as well i believe he's also writes for the show um, his daughter also has a part in the show as well. But just everyone. Uh, Chris Elliott, isn't it? If you remember him from the, the David oh, yeah, Letterman show Chris back Elliott. in the day. Sure. Who, you know, I still think he's not really very funny. <laughs> I was never yeah, a big he's, fan. He's got his moments. He does have his moments, right? Uh, I was never a huge fan. I'm still not. But he, for the most part, he's pretty funny. I mean, the cast is just amazing they're, they're just super hilarious very well written uh they're short episodes so you can watch a lot in a little time i'm just kind of like you know i'll watch you know two here two there every now and then i'm not really hardcore binging it you know it's just like really really enjoying it and uh you know but it's also something they can like walk away from a little bit and come back to and you know i, I will say this as a crit I, I, maybe this is a criticism but just you know like it's basically you know, it's just take these characters, find a situation to put them in where they get to react to, you know, and the whole fish out of water thing. Um, and obviously, a lot of times they have opportunities to, to show their their inner humanity, inner spirit and their inner kindness, or whatever. But, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm a huge fan of Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy from back when they did SCTV. I used to watch him on my black and white television in my bedroom, a little 10 inch jobber. Um, I'd catch like, you know, I, I had, you know, we had like five <clears throat> TV stations, but on one of them, uh, for some reason they would always show second city television and, uh, you know, they were hilarious. So I've been big fans of theirs for a long time. And, and this is just kind of like a little tour de force for them. Cool. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really like her as well. So. All right. Well, uh, sounds like we're both on the uh, the light train of uh, TV shows at the moment, which I think given everything else we watch is certainly understandable. But it's uh, it's it's nice after an episode of, of Lovecraft Country, to uh, which is very heavy and intense. Uh, it's a nice change of pace from that. So. Yeah, that's that's a show I'm going to have to check out at some it point. Is but really good, Dave. It is yeah, that's the, the episode last night was another just one of those up there, like maybe one of the best I've ever seen type episodes. So, well, talking about great episodes, Brave New World 108, Monogamy and yep. Futility Part Two, written by Vivian Wong and Gene Pesky, directed by Andre Parikh, who directed 107. And you know, we often throw out the uh, word penultimate episode and usually they're setup episodes and while this can certainly be seen as a setup episode on a lot of levels i mean just even standing on its own it, it's just so pivotal because so many characters are facing life-changing decisions but it really sets a tone for a vibrant second season and we might as well go ahead and fess up at this point we've both seen the finale we'll not spoil anything for you guys we we trying to never do that once in a while something sneaks out but but we're, we're gonna you know keep that under wraps but you know when you look at john lanina helm bernard even henry and of course c jack 60 they've all taken steps in this episode that are going to fundamentally change not only their lives, but the lives of people around them. Yeah. I mean, like there's just huge, huge changes taking place here. And we see also, you know, maybe the, the initial brewings of some unintended consequences. John has no intention of being some kind of you know leader of a revolution, but, you know, you can see that he has definitely incited the Epsilons to where they, they commit murder at the end of this episode. And we can imagine them, you know, that, that this is just the beginning. Yeah, and he may end up not having a choice in leading this revolution. Uh, oftentimes, characters get caught up in things. Again, we've got that label, the reluctant messiah. And, hey, I don't want any of this. Well, too bad. Yeah. You started it. You got exactly, it. Exactly, right? It's not, he doesn't have it thrust upon him. He did start it. He's the one who got the Epsilons questioning the, uh, the nature of their reality, to borrow a phrase from a show we like. But, um, you know, and so he can't walk away from the responsibility that goes with that. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the one character that I find so fascinating in this episode is Franny. And while, you know, by the end of the episode of her story, we really think she means one thing. And when you get to the final episode of the season, it turns out to be something totally different. So obviously we don't want to spoil anything just more than that. But, you know, she tells Lenina that John's a test of the social body and, and she actually says to expose the weak among us and i'm thinking well is this indra's plan to cull the herd of those that are weak and i don't know maybe it is i mean what does calling the herd mean in new london does it mean being sent to the uh, reprogrammers i guess yeah i mean well you know at, at this point we don't even really know like what indra's indra claims that she this is all part of the plan, but you know, Mon says, "Well, you didn't factor, you know, the savage." And Indra's kind of like, "Well, yeah, I did." Almost like I have a Monty right. Python sketch, you know? <laughs> right? Uh, you're lying. I don't lie. Yes, you do. I programmed you to lie. Right. Damn. <laughs> but right. But but that question Mond asks about the savage bringing about the fatal event, and again raising the possibility that what we're watching is a simulation rather than reality or is reality just a simulation again there's no point in really going down that road at this point but mond as you said realizes indra didn't plan for the savage element in this test if that's 
what it is, you know, the, right. the test of the social body to figure out who needs to be reconditioned and, you know, who's playing by the rules. And at this point, it seems like most of the characters that we're in contact with are not playing by the rules. I mean, did Indra plan the Epsilon uprising as seems to be implied in that little sequence with Mond? Yeah, well, yeah, there's there's that. I mean, you just like we see society just crumbling, like right in front of us. You know, like just like little things, uh, like uh, Lenina on the train, and the, the people come over, like, "Hey, why don't you come back with us?" And she's like, "No way, man!" And everyone's like, like hitting the soma because it's so unheard of. Um, oh yeah, right. You know, physical violence being introduced into the society, you know, where Bernard went from not even knowing how to make a fist to, you know, becoming famous for having an all out brawl with John. So you know, we just see that, the, you know, that the society is really just starting to fall apart at the edges. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing about the Epsilon uprising, as long as we're talking about Mond and Indra, I guess the argument for believing that Indra factored that in is that we saw the sea jacks with that jagged piece of metal and we saw him you know uh, go over the you know the uh, balcony to his death and I can't remember if sea jack 60 draws the frowning face in the window before his contact with John or not but I don't know. But I think that, yeah, but the jagged piece of metal, I think, is enough to let us believe that Indra did factor the Epsilon uprising. John just sped up the timetable more likely than than anything else. And maybe to the degree that the uprising takes hold. But, you know, the thing about Franny, getting back to her, it's almost as if she sees this as her civic duty to question her friend and try to get her back on the straight and narrow. And, you know, that scene where they're getting dressed to go out and, and of course, Lenina doesn't want to go. Franny's like, well, I'll wait for you. And that whole idea, it's like we want to, you know, party like we used to. And Lenina's like, well, we go out every yeah. night anyway. <laughs> you mean like we did last night? But I, we know what she means. Well, no, I got some, I think they're oranges. Orange, where'd you get orange? Only counselors have orange. So yeah. where Franny got those, who knows? But but clearly what she's talking about is partying like it's 1999. Right. And uh, getting back to those carefree days when they were probably much younger. I would say had fewer responsibilities, but what responsibilities exactly. does a beta really have? Right. Other than to join in for the evening partying and, you know, whatever ends up happening out of that. But it's almost like she feels she's doing her social duty here. So, come on, I set you up. Uh, Was I supposed to laugh at the word duty? I said duty. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't haven't done that in a while. I got you. Yeah, I know. Okay. Okay, you're supposed to tell me to act my level. Come on. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, taking these expanded quantities of Soma, and then you mentioned the train ride home, and several things, in addition, come up in this train ride. And, and of course, you know, you mentioned the couple that wants to go home with them for a foursome. And she says, unequivocally, it's my body. And we've talked from time to time about how the writers have kind of updated Brave New World, and it's certainly its own creative endeavor separate from the book. But, you know, that's certainly not something that comes up in the book, but but maybe it kind of is a nice, simple way to get into, you know, an issue that's, you know, front and center in our culture at the moment and whether you want to call it the hashtag me too movement or whatever but you know the woman's right to to choose and and in this kind of a situation and of course as she tells uh, john later 
that was a pretty drastic move on my part that's likely not going to go unnoticed. And that's, you know, she she kind of um, stands up for almost like us, right? Like like our beliefs, right? The, the no, I, you know, I, I don't have to sleep with whoever I want to. She's asserting her individuality and, and as you said, her her right to dominance over her own body, which like, yeah, obviously, absolutely. Right. But of course, when everyone belongs to everyone else, then no one belongs to themselves basically. And, and that's what kind of John and Lenina are both, you know, standing up for that, the right to, to be your own, you know, to, to, to be in charge of yourself and make your own decisions. Yeah, and you know, we talk a lot about shows that just hammer us over the head with social commentary, and I just feel like this is an incident where they don't smash us over the head with a sledgehammer. They get it in seamlessly. It makes sense given the context, and I just thought it was brilliantly done, and when she talks to John later, it it just, you know, extends that. But when she goes to John's and finds Franny there waiting, who calls her a savage now, right? wants her to leave John and says, the conditioners will make you remember who you're supposed to be. And it, it's leading us to think that she's already turned her friend in and are the conditioners going to come and get her or, or what? So yeah, don't, I, yeah, we don't, we don't know. But 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 yeah, but, well, especially well, you know. Okay, I'm sorry, I, I totally lost my thought. I, I thought. Well, I mean, I, I as I said, I really do think Franny is doing this because she thinks it's the right thing to do. She thinks yes. that she's helping her friend. Yeah. And on a lot of levels, she absolutely is helping her friend. Yeah, sure. But I mean, she's what what she's doing. We would think is a betrayal, but it's really from her point of view. It's yeah, like you said, she's just trying to to help her friend out and and to get her friend back in as a normal member of society rather than which she's quite frankly a deviant and someone who is disrupting and destabilizing society. I don't think she really thought it through because I believe they had said in the earlier episode that when people go to to reconditioning that they don't come back. So it's like, did you did you forget about that little detail, Freddie? Yeah, and even at the time, though, you wondered whether that was a rumor or whether they knew that for a fact. But I guess we will find out. Um, and the thing is, she doesn't know how to process the fact that her friend's having an existential crisis because that's not something that's in her there's, in her tool set. There's no such thing in their world as as existential crisis. Well, there wasn't, but now right. with Lenina Helm clearly right. uh, is having one. I think you could argue that Henry even is on the verge sure. of an existential crisis. Although you might say it's just pure paranoia <laughs> on his uh, part. C Jack sixty to the point where the only one that maybe isn't is Bernard and. Again, as as the writers draw up these characters, I, I, I just think it's brilliantly done the way each of them is moving in the overall narrative. Um, yeah, well, so, just you know, really I mean, quickly, I, mean, I think we did see Bernard being in existential crisis mode earlier, but now he's like the voice of of the the, the, show, the social body, you know. Like he's yeah, we see and, him taking over that role. Right. And I think he has a lot more self-confidence than he had before for a number of reasons. And, and obviously the clash between John and Bernard is at the forefront of this episode as Bernie becomes so much more self-assured. And in that opening scene of the episode, John's at Helm studio as he's as she's probing his memories, as as you mentioned before, and we see these little flashbacks to his time with his mom. You said probing. I did. (laughs) And (laughs) she tells him 
as you said, she can only paint over his feelings and emotions, but it only works if you're connected. And I think what strikes her is the question of whether or not he's able to override her paint. And the way the scene is presented to us, it's really not clear what grabs her attention during all this, but he puts in his optic and the visual overload is is terribly disorienting for him. But now the social body can tap into John's feed. And I guess that's the thing you see where, where they're, you know, they're waving their hand in the air and they can see is that everybody's feed on a little carousel or something, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't take the social body long to realize that John is now online and active and, well, you know, I guess there are worse things, but yeah, but you know, when they, they, you know, again, they just treat him like a freak, you know, like they laugh at him. He's stumbling around disoriented. Looks like he might be even in, in some pain and they're just like laughing at him. Oh, isn't that funny? Look at this, the funny savage. So it's really, he, it's no different for him than it was back in the savage land where he was just an actor in this, you know, badly produced pantomime. Well, and I guess for him in new London, I mean, he truly is the other, but he's the other amidst a population that is just so emotionally and socially stunted that exponentially it's worse than being the other in our world, you know? I mean, speaking of the other, the scene where Bernard goes and starts grilling poor Gary. Ugh, poor Gary. And, he just and wants Fred to make chicken pies, man. I know. And, and, and Fred brings this up in, in his feedback about Bernard's manipulation of Gary and how that's fairly off-putting for Fred. And it took me back to something that you said in an earlier discussion when I think I was criticizing Bernard for, you know, the superior attitude. And I guess we have to understand, well, he's simply doing what he was conditioned to do. This is what he was taught. This is proper behavior for an alpha plus speaking to a gamma and to consider it manipulation in our world, clearly it is. In their world, it's just part of the daily but, activity. You know, the thing is about Bernard is he knows what he's doing, right? I mean, we'd say, yeah, he's been conditioned to to be, you know, superior to the, to, I'm sorry, Gamma in Gary's case. <clears throat> but, you know, he knows what he's doing. He, he knows he's making Gary uncomfortable. He purposefully does that. And it's just really hard, like, you know, even despite saying that, that Bernard has, I mean, we've seen him take agency over his decisions. You know, we know he has at least a little bit of sense of, of right and wrong beyond what he's been conditioned to believe. So when he does this to Gary, I found it pretty reprehensible, you know. You mean because at this point in Bernard's story, so many other things have happened to him related to John that, as you said, he knows what he's doing. He knows the impact. And and really, it's no different than the feelings that John has. Now, he, you know, exhibits them a little differently with Lenina over her, you know, sexual activity. But bottom line this is pure and simply jealousy yeah on bernie's end right well, and, and that's the worst part of it because i mean were he doing this to quote unquote to protect the social body okay maybe somewhat we could be on board with that but he's not it's it's out of spite it's out of jealousy yeah, yeah exactly and and gary holds out much longer than i expected <laughs> him to hold out and then um, I, I wish I could remember the movie where Tom Cruise is the, uh, I think it's Tom Cruise is the sports agent. Oh, yeah, Jerry Maguire. You know, help me help do, you. Yeah, do you want to help me help John? <laughs> and, of course, I'm thinking that. But finally, Gary breaks every night, two hours. And 
How Bernard often? seems a bit lots. taken aback by lots that. Lots and lots. Yeah, lots. <laughs> right, right. That was pretty good. <laughs> well, then, of course, John confronts Bernard about following the helm, and that you know evolves into Bernie taunting him about Lenina's sexual proclivity, and you, you don't think she cares about you, do you? Yeah. Because you know there was somebody before you. There'll be somebody after you. And I, I guess this goes back to what you were just saying a second ago, downright cruelty on Bernard's part as a result of the jealousy. Now, you well, know, but, John, before you well, go on real quick, just I want to comment because okay. he, he does like totally tighten the screws on this one. Right. He knows exactly what to say. Like, you know, and what and what he says is it's not wrong. But it's also exactly the way. When he says, she makes you feel like you're the only one. Well, yeah, she does. Like, um, And normally it's meaningless. You know, That's the difference. With with everyone else that Lenin is with, it, it, it has no emotional meaning. So technically, John is the only one. She's He's the only one that she emotionally feels connected to. So yeah, that's really bad. I also want to comment on... You know, John has seemed to have gotten used to the good life a little bit here. So as much as we say, oh, he's this rebel and, you know, this, uh, you know, this leader and this, this outcast, he, he gets out of the shower and complains that he had to dry himself. <laughs> Gary, my towel. Yeah. No, my robe. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's yeah, like, I, I had to dry myself. It's like. And then that, then that led me to another picture that I don't know if I really want to go to. But what the hell does Gary – Gary has to dry him off? Seriously? Now I really feel sorry yeah. for Gary, man. Well, you know, but Gary seems to be having the time of his life. I mean, when, when you think about it, he is a valet to the star, the star of stars. True. Right? I mean, this is John the Savage, and I'm with him – all the time so again yeah that that certainly strikes us but you know i guess from gary's standpoint um you know john's still working on that wall drawing and uh, you know I, i've taken some screenshots i'm still trying to figure out what it's all about i mean the you know one of the drawings that we see it looks like there are about maybe eight or nine individuals sort of sitting around that tree and again, you start thinking about trees and all right, what do trees represent? All right, we've got the tree of knowledge. Does the tree represent Indra? And all these people are just sitting around Indra letting. Or Yggdrasil, her, the tree of life? Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> but again, well, I still don't know. We're not that far away from Ragnarok, man. We can still bring that stuff in. There you go. <laughs> uh, so I still don't know what is going on with his. Uh, drawings but you know he's going through this whole put my optic in take it out put it in and, and he puts it in so he can learn where lenina is and what she's doing and he sees her start to take off her dress at the club and he rips his optic out as if he wants to unsee what he already seen but then what does he do he puts it right back yeah, in yeah he can't look and, away yeah, so uh, you know, then when she shows up later, <laughs> do is, you like my drawings? Uh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> if I have to be honest, no, I love that. I love that right. she's just she's. I mean, she's told, and that's the thing. She's honest with him, you know. Like, right. She's not hiding. She's not deceiving him. Uh, you know, yeah. Does she sleep with other people? Yes. Does it mean anything to her? No. Is she honestly with you about it? 100%. Right. And it's a really interesting exchange that we see take place between the two of them. I mean, the first thing she tells him is that I crossed a line tonight and the world didn't end. And of course, we're referring to that refusal to engage in the foursome with that couple on the train. He wants to know why she never mentioned her date with Bernard and all, you know, all of that. But then the idea of prisons keeps coming up in this episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, even Franny mentions it when she's looking through the brochures that Lenina still has lying around about the, the prisons. And, you know, Lenina 
really says to John, there are all kinds of prisons, aren't there? And, you know, they're both in prisons of their own making to a certain extent. I mean, you could argue that Lenina's prison, a.k.a. New London and Indra and all of that, wasn't of her making. But now that she's awakened, you know, now she, she realizes she can make decisions on her own. John, on the other hand, I guess we could argue has created his own prison by bringing his emotional sensibilities into this brave new world. And I just love the fact that, I mean, it's, it's kind of a unsettling scene on the one hand, as he demands that she tell him exactly what she did with the guy. And he really wants the sexual blow by blow and, and she's reluctant to give it. And I think that's clearly a change for her because before she would have probably just seen it as, as play, you know, right. Sex play. And, right. Yeah. And, um, I can't remember what you, you said back there. Uh, whatever. but yeah, I mean, the, this extremely just, dis- I mean, it is a disturbing scene. It's, there's nothing like sexually provocative about this scene at all, because, you know, he, he's, just playing this part, this pathetically, you know, put me in the, the the position of the guy who you last had sex with. With again, she's told him a number of times how how it isn't meaningful in any way. But oh, this was the thing about the prison. But you know, like you said, he's in the prison of his own of his conditioning as well, like his jealousy that he just can't get over. Try as he might. He just can't get over that that jealousy that's a tie over from how he was conditioned to see these monogamous relationships, right? Um, right. And, and she thinks that they've already sorted that out, that we're both good with it. And, of course, he tried, but he's not good with it. Right. Yeah, not at all. So, you know, there's actually this this scene, because it's really – more disturbing the sex scene than anything else i don't know if you ever saw the movie damage with jeremy irons i have yeah so you know i'm talking about like that sex scene in there i do it yeah that is oh, yeah only that that's still like the number one i think disturbing uh you know sex scene i've seen in the movie uh this one from brave new world might be number two because it's not sex as a, an act of love or enjoyment even between two people it's it's a uh it's just like power you know it's yeah i mean it it borders on rape right right and i think you could certainly make a case that it is right but yeah yeah you know and, and and you know she tells him she loves him and she does seem sincere when she says it of course he doesn't buy it and and um you know at, at the end of you know th- this exchange between the two of them it, it's just not clear what their future holds yeah. at, at this point i mean no, we, no. you know they both really they they may not know it at this point but they're both fugitives her for the incident on the train even though we don't have any hard evidence that you know that's going to come back to haunt her i think logic tells us it probably will and then of course you know as the leader of the epsilon revolution we know uh yeah you know bernie's after him and um you know going going back to uh helm for a second you know she was watching that the feed and and she sees john with lenina and then all of a sudden the incident during which john pushes the director over the cliff and You know, I wrote down in my notes at first why she's so impacted by this incident. And I guess it is pretty horrific, but for her, it kind of impacts her the other way. It it seems to lead her to questioning her reality and, and making a change, obviously that visible physical change of removing the wig that we've become so accustomed to seeing and... And at first, you know, she's got her hair all pinned up the way people do when they're wearing a wig. But then later, 
you know, she, she fixes her, her natural hair to, you know, what those of us that watched Killjoys were used to seeing. Right. But obviously now the cat's out of the bag that John, as it appears in his feed, killed the director. Yep. And Bernard wants Henry to banish John. And, you know, on one level, he's not wrong. I mean, John is a disrupting force in their society. Yeah. So. But I think the damage has been done. Like, you know, he's all. The Epsilons have killed because of his influence. That, that's right. that's not like something that they're going to be able to, to take back or hide or, or you know walk back from. The, the Epsilons have already we, stood up to Bernard Bernard in in defense of John as well. Yeah, oh, that's a great scene when Bernard thinks he's going to escort John away, and uh, nope, we're going to escort him away from you director yeah. oh no he's not the director yet spoilers but henry you know yeah but henry it, again it's so fascinating because he's now paranoid that he's being used by the previous director who he believes is still alive the man just vanished he tells bernard and bernard's like dude the guy went over the cliff did he <laughs> and 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 this such a self-assured individual when we think back to the Henry Foster that we met in episode one and the Henry Foster that's been named the director, and now he's just totally losing it. Not an existential crisis per se, just it's almost as if he feels inadequate that he's not up to the task of dealing with this savage, this disruption in the force (laughs) And this is how he copes with it, which is to not cope with it. Right. And, and, you know, he later tells Bernard, yeah, fine, you deal with you it. You take care of it. <laughs> As a director, I'm instructing you to deal with this. So, which makes him the perfect middle manager, right? Like, he's just like. Oh, no question. This, this guy was made for this job. But, um, I mean, we really have not liked Henry Foster, even a little bit, even at any point. Have we felt any kind of sympathy for him? Um, he does dress super cool, though. His clothes are the best. Maybe next to John's. Yeah. You got to give John with the all black. That's got to be first place. But Henry, that guy knows how to wear wear a suit. So, but anyway, you know. And now we see him. His hair is frazzled. His his clothes are in disarray. He looks nothing like you said, like that self assured person we've seen throughout the, the the season so far and you know i'll admit i'll admit i felt a little bit bad for him for a little bit of time there you know but of course then he goes back to being henry from before telling the 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 epsilons to, that they missed a leaf and that is his undoing yeah you know it's funny that that's something that my wife missed the first time she's like back that up because we 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 see right from the start of the scene in the park that something's different something's a bit off are there usually this many leaves lying on the mm-hmm. ground and of course no there aren't right. because the epsilons have gotten them as soon as they would fall just as they immediately if somebody drops something they're immediately there to pick it up we we've seen that in previous episodes so when henry starts you know, again challenging the epsilons for their failure to do their job and follows them back into that little alcove i mean we don't hear anything again i i just think that's brilliantly done but the epsilon walks out and you see the blood on his shoes and then when he takes his stick to pick up trash and you see the blood yeah. on it then what a way to know. go man killed by yard yeah. equipment yeah, and, and you know, in terms of, you know, we don't hear any screams or anything, but we do hear, again, I noticed it the second time I watched it, it must be their their sticks thrusting into him as they yeah. kill him. You just hear this, yeah. oh, just just really gruesome. And well, yeah, like well, you said. At first it, I thought he, would, he was going to be okay because the guy following him just has one of those like metal rakes with like, you know, like the, 
that the the not like you know like a, a leaf rake that uh, the metal things bend back and everything. So I'm like, oh, that's not going to do too much damage. He's going to be okay. But no, I guess a couple of those guys have uh, come equipped with the little pokey things that they can pick up trash with, and they'll certainly do some damage. Yeah, that's a job I did way back in the day. They drop us off on I-95 with a bucket and a stick with a nail in it. And, Was that uh, with a yellow vest, too? Uh, yellow vest, yep. Uh, and, a, and a hard hat. But nice. uh, ah, good times. <laughs> um, but, you know, you you also mentioned violence in, in this society and, and the lack thereof. And, and, you know, that scene where Bernard is at Helms and he wants the tapes of john's feed and and she won't give it to him and and he violently takes them from yes. her and pushes her to the side and and you know it's like kind of a little thud when she hits the wall that we know she's not really injured but she's probably somewhat shocked and the fact that bernard is not shocked at his own behavior is troubling sure Sure, it's because he's not exactly he's not, and and the fact that here is really his basically his only confidant. Well, the, the two confidants he's well actually three I guess were Lenina, John, and Helm, right? And he's basically crapped on all of them, and just completely either you know by you know, by the way he's changed, he's completely alienated the only people who were really and truly friends with him. This is really just probably, I would say, me. I don't know if this is the, his absolute low point. But it's pretty close to a low point for Bernard because, you know, that's pretty unforgivable. What he, you know, to for him to use violence on on Helm like that, and and then to you know not even you know really care at all. Right, and, and the culmination of that act, which is, of course, to release the feed of John and the director to the social body, in and of itself, that's pretty bad. But but no, as you said, the, the, the means by which he obtains it is far worse. Mm-hmm. It's, it's far worse. And, you know, now that it's out there, it, it can't be brought back. And, you know, again, we've got one episode to go, and there's a lot of storylines that need to be addressed and we don't know yet whether we're getting a season two, but my gosh, you know, again, as we said earlier, we've both seen the final episode and they have a lot of areas which they could explore in a season two and even a season three. Yeah. They they got it. They, they, they got it. Like right now I am actually kind of loving Peacock. Um, because like I said, I have through Comcast, I, I get like the, I guess it's the pay version, um, or the, 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 pay, the, the, the cheap version, I guess, whatever the commercial version, so commercials, but it's only mm-hmm. one commercial. Oh, you know, like well, how awesome doable. is that? That's amazing. You know, and of course, you know, the sex language, violence, nudity, every episode. I mean, what more could you want? Uh, there you go. Um, all right, well, why don't we finish up with John and the Epsilons again, another great name for a band. Yes. But, you know, we mentioned John as the reluctant Messiah and of course, see Jack's classic line. You spoke, we listened. Hmm. And again, a great scene when John goes into the park, just trying to figure out what the hell is happening to my life. And he sits on that bench and John you know, sees him, you know, staring at him and, and tells him to sit. It's not for us. And he's like, dude, sit. And then he starts opening up about Lenina. And, you know, seven episodes ago, we'd say, ah, he's an Epsilon. He has no clue what you're talking about. Not the case. Yep. You, you know, we've seen little bits and pieces. And that's what's so wonderful about the way the C-Jacks have been presented is we never see them say very much but everything they say is packed with meaning yes definitely and then when he says they're staring meaning you know the alphas and the betas john just says stare back and you see them all turn around and just stare which is so unsettling for the alphas and the betas they don't know what to do now 
And yeah, it, it kind of reminds me. A, I don't know if you've ever seen like Life of Brian, you know. But oh my god! So sure. yeah, you know, so he, you know, Brian becomes this unwilling Messiah Always and look on the bright <laughs> right. side of life. <laughs> and yeah. the uh, the crowd is like chasing him. He's running from him. And finally, they corner him. And he turns around and goes, fuck off. And they're like, how shall we fuck off? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just totally like that where like they just, everything he does and says becomes gospel. And, uh, you know, they, they immediately put into action. So something for John as simple as having an Epsilon sit next to him on a bench, which seems like, I mean, normal, right? Like in his society, there's no, there's no castes. So if you know, you tell you, know, you can't tell anyone not to sit on the bench, sit down. But in this society, that is huge, right? Way past what you know. John just thinks he's exhibiting his egalitarian way of thinking, but in reality, he is, you know, as we see at the end, he is really causing a, 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 a huge destabilizing rift in this society. Well, right. And, and it's a seemingly simple act, just as Lenina's refusal of the foursome is a seemingly simple act, yet they're monumental in, in the big picture. And as John's sitting next to C-Jack 60 on the bench, C-Jack 60's female partner comes over and sits on the other side of John. And then you see all of them start hovering around as if, you know, they're, they're you know, listening to every word that John has to say. And then of course, you know, we get that final scene when the Epsilons aren't performing their custodial duties and, <laughs> and Henry meets his demise. Um, but you know, John's on the run and, and, you know, we talked about that incident earlier where, where the Sea Jacks, you know, are, are protecting him. But we didn't mention at the time, you know, Bernard, and again, this is, I guess, Bernard, all you had to do was be happy, John. Yeah. But you, you couldn't even do that. Right. So, you know, what's going to happen now? I, I Again, we end the episode, John's on the run from Bernard, who wants to exile him. And Lenina, you know, certainly for the incident on the train and, and her connection to John is probably a likely candidate as well. We know Franny is up to something. And, and then, you know, maybe the wild card is Helm. What mm-hmm. is going to be her next play? But um, I really like this episode. Uh, you usually got something that we haven't talked about, so... Um, honestly, this time I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, I'm looking at an A again. I, you know, I think this was just a brilliantly done episode. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm still going A minus. I I just I'm still trying to reserve the A's for like I don't know like to to have more of a sense of superiorness in it. I guess this was a really really good episode. Don't get me wrong. I just, I, I guess maybe I just am seeing it too much as a transitional um, episode that leading up to, to the, the, the final one. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, why don't we hear what Fred's got for us this week and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Brave New World Season 1, Episode 8. First off, what am I watching? It was very peculiar, because Dave and I, without discussing it with each other, were watching exactly the same episode of a 1960s series. But that was because Diana Rigg died just last week, who played in a James Bond movie and of course in The Avengers in the 60s, and more recently in Game of Thrones, a series that is still on my watch list. 
So obviously this gave Dave as well as me the impulse to watch an old episode. And I actually discovered that she was not in that series for all seasons. And I know at a certain point the new adventures came with Purdy, uh, Johanna Lumley. But that was another series, uh, really a few years later. I found out that Diana Rake was only having the role of Emma Peel in season four and five, and not even in six. So Dave and I both watched the first episode of season four, without knowing that from each other. The second thing I watched is the 1998 movie, The Avengers, with Ralph Flannis, Uma Thurman, and Sean Connery. I never had seen that movie. And it was also very coincidental and peculiar for me because I watched this week, together with medical students, again, Gattaca, one of my favorite movies, also with Uma Thurman, and furthermore with Ethan Hawke and Jude Law. The other thing I watched are the first two and a half episodes of Raised by Wolves, but that's a show I really have to get used to. Um... The mother with her screaming attacks did remind me a little bit of the invasion of the body snatchers with Donald Sutherland in the leading role and also a librarian's episode, season one, episode nine. I also wonder if I like the androgynous appearance of so-called mother in Raised with Wolves. If they made these androids in male and female form, I think they should differ more, or you shouldn't do it at all. Let me be clear, I don't have anything against androgynous people, but if you construct an android and you make them on purpose male or female, then they should differ a little more, in my opinion. Okay, let's stop talking about other stuff. Perhaps I was avoiding to talk about this episode of Brave New World. I got so annoyed actually and in that sense they did it very good by Bernard and how he treats Gary it's so manipulative and so arrogant and so jealous so Bernard is very jealous and I thought they all would be happy and I think if you're jealous you're not happy so I think this episode should have had the title jealousy which also fits what happened to John here And a little later, Bernard is also manipulating John in an awful way. Talking about Lenina and the normal behavior of betas or beta pluses. Really making John jealous, whereas John already is a little bit jealous, although he doesn't want to. And making that worse even. And actually in the hope that John would reject Lenina and that Bernard would get to Lenina. And when you say it like this, it almost sounds like the normal world, instead of the brave new world. Another title for this episode also could be Manipulation, because Bernard is also manipulating even Henry. What I loved, by the way, were the knitted, or something like that, dresses of Lenina and Franny. Very nice. Heads up for the costume department. Good was Lenina's answer to John's question, did you have sex with Bernard Marx? Bernard Marx? Why would you even think of that? (laughs) Well, she actually didn't finish that sentence. Very nice at the ending was, of course, that the Epsilons, or some of the Epsilons, turned against Bernard. His arrogant, smug face immediately changed. And did we lose another director? I think so. I think that's not the best position to have. Little life-threatening. Will Bernard be the next? John left with the Epsilons, but will he get Lenina as well? Will she join him? Or not? And will she somehow be punished by Bernard? Last topic I want to address is that Tatiana Maslany, or from Black Star, my favorite series, as every listener knows by now, will be She-Hulk. Well, that is something I didn't see coming. Quite a contrast to Sister Alice of Perry Mason, by the way. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands, 
where COVID is rising again, mainly under 20 to 24 years old students. Just a group I have to teach. All right. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned last week, it was just so funny that uh, I learned that Fred had watched the episode of the old series, The Avengers, with Diana Rigg, and my wife and I had done the same on the same night that Fred did. But as Fred said, it's funny because I, too, thought Diana Rigg started the series instead of season four, which is when she came on. Right. And that's, of course, the episode that, that we watched as well. He also mentions Raised by Wolves, which I know you haven't seen yet. And the androgynous look of mother and, you know, if you're going to establish a character as female and the other character as father and clearly, you know, why, why make her androgynous? Yeah, I mean, I see where you're, what you're saying, Fred, and I don't necessarily disagree. Um, I will say Raised by Wolves is a show that I won't say I had to warm to it. It's one of those shows that I nearly stopped after three episodes, and then I watched four. It's like, okay, I kind of have to watch five now. I watch five. Okay, kind of have to watch six. So uh, when you get a chance, it's definitely worth uh, checking out. Yeah, I'd have to wait till uh, HBO Max and Roku finally strike a deal because oh, I just, God. I, I just, ref- I I, I'm stubbornly refusing to watch HBO Max stuff on my laptop. Like I, I want to see it on my television. HBO get yeah. it done, nope. or I'm going to cancel you as soon as Lovecraft Country is done, unless you come up with another really good show that I'm going to want to watch after that. No, I hear you. It's getting very frustrating with uh, HBO Max and Roku. And, you know, un- unlike you, I'm willing to watch it on my laptop, but I, I hear you. It's... Anyway, um, the-, the only other thing that, f- that Fred mentioned was, y- you know, we kind of talked about Bernard's attitude towards Gary and, and the manipulation factor. And, and you know, as-, as I, you know, reminded you and reminded the listeners, that this is something you addressed way back that he's really just acting his level and while at this point in the narrative you could argue you know maybe he's going a little overboard you know we don't necessarily know how much time has elapsed but i mean it can't be more than a couple weeks right i mean since john has been back right time seems pretty compressed here right i mean when gary says um john and lenina you know meet lots and lots and you know what does that mean (laughs) we don't really know in in gary time but uh but but the other thing you know that when john confronts lenina about whether or not she had sex with bernard on their date and she's like bernard what would make you think i'd have sex with bernard and she means it i think as she says it but then of course we realize well she nearly did have sex with him back in the savage lands and it would have been completely natural and maybe you argue well he's the alpha plus i'm the uh, i'm the beta plus that's what i'm supposed to do this is what he wants to do okay whatever but still you know she nearly did so clearly she's changed It's, it's, it's not so out of this world that she lets on there Right. But, you know, like I said at the beginning, she's one of these characters that has fundamentally changed. And I would say I can't wait to see episode eight, but I'll I'll say I can't wait to talk about episode eight. How's that? Episode nine, you mean? (laughs) Oh, episode nine. I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah. we're we're on episode eight. And and again, we've said, okay, why nine episodes? Why not 10? Sure. (laughs) Anyway, whatever. Um, This goes to 11. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Do you know Firesign Theater? It's probably a little before uh, the time. They, they were a comedy group of the 70s, uh, back when vinyl was uh, you know, the only thing going. And uh, they had one, one of their albums, We're All Bozos on This Bus, and they were talking about uh, FUD's first law of opposition. If you push something hard enough, it will fall over. <laughs> and... Uh, our friend Danielle was, you know, on her Facebook page talking about her lesson with her kids today. And it was, you know, something to do with gravity and physics. And 
you know, I was ready to type it in there, but you know, she'd find it funny, but all her friends would think I'm an asshole. So I decided not to do it. Sometimes you just gotta go for it, man. Not worry about what people think of you. Uh, You know what? I'm Elena's page. I'm definitely going to have to do that. I've typed a few things and then not posted, but uh, (laughs) you know, Anyway, all right, well, let's go ahead and leave it there. Uh, That's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Brave New World, anything else going on in genre TV. Encourage you to join the Facebook group, get into the discussions there. You can send us an email to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. The website, sci-fi TV rewatch.podbeam.com, if you want to go there, and you can check out the back catalog. We'll be back next time to discuss the season finale, episode nine of the NBC Peacock dystopian classic Brave New World, titled Soma Red. But until then. I know after that, that Fred, you want us to do uh, season or episode three of Biohackers. And you know what, Fred, your happiness is important to us.